0: Well hello everybody this is Mario Zapata coming to you with a new episode of the MMA Fresh Take podcast. It's been quite a while since I've done one of these the reasons being I've uh, just been really busy at work so haven't had the most time to get one of these out here out there to y'all in a while also the podcasting hosting site that I was using actually went down and is no longer in service or in use anymore so I had to find something different A little bit of a different platform um and really honestly this is this is something that i i I enjoy doing i like to come on here give my opinion about mixed martial arts because i think it's something that's a little bit different than maybe what others are thinking and i like to just have my opinion out there in the world and see what the reactions are to my opinions and i just think that the more conversation we have the better so i definitely enjoy doing this and hopefully this is it's january 1st 2018 hopefully we can make this a more regular podcast where it comes out on a particular day so with that i look forward to getting more of these out to y'all and hopefully getting some responses from y'all and hopefully you all enjoy uh, the content that's coming out of here I'm, i'm no expert by any means i never trained a day in my life i'm not a journalist so I just am a, a huge mixed martial arts fans who thinks that I have an educated opinion in the sense that I, I really try to think these things out uh, thoughtfully, and I've listened to a lot of other great people and journalists out there in the world. But um, yeah, I just want to sh- share my opinion and see what y'all think and really just get the conversation started. So let's start off this new year with just talking about UFC 219, I believe it was. That just occurred this past Saturday and was a little bit of an intre- was a, was an interesting card to say the least. I thought going into it that this could be a card that on paper looked pretty good, but maybe in my heart of hearts was going to be a little bit lackluster. And I really felt that that's kind of how the card ended up being. There were some interesting, intriguing fights on here with some fights that had fallen off. The card in Jimmy Rivera versus Dominic Cruz. I believe Gokhan Saki was supposed to fight Khalil Roundtree, who ended up losing on this card. And that would have been a very fun and interesting fight, especially to see what Saki could do against another really good, talented striker in the realm of mixed martial arts. And then, of course, Jimmy Rivera versus Dominic Cruz fell off the card, like I said. And then that was going to be replaced by John Lineker versus Jimmy Rivera which also fell through due to a t- tooth infection for John Lineker. So just uh, pretty disappointing from that front. But really overall, I mean, the card was okay with the early prelims and the, and the regular prelims. Jury had a nice win over Rick Blinn, And Vittori versus Akhmedov ended up in a draw. Uh, Louis Smolka losing once again to Nikolai who looked very, very good and talented, definitely has a lot to work with being so, such a young prospect in that um, flyweight division. Kilo Roundtree, again, he lost against a, a 22-year-old who was very young, very hard to pronounce his name, Oleg check something like that. Um, he looked pretty impressive, looked like he was about one one weight class too high though he could be a middleweight it looks like in for round tree having lost he didn't look terrible it just looked like his gas tank was just on empty very quickly after he uh, really tried to put it on his opponent very early in that round so that was a bit disappointing but let's get to the main card just talk about it uh, a little bit I don't really want to go into a full dive on each fight. I just really kind of want to hit the points that I really saw that were important. So let's first talk it. We'll, we'll touch on all five. But some are going to be shorter than the others of course. But first one I want to talk about is Dan Hooker versus Mark Casey. This was a very interesting fight. Casey looks like he's got a lot of diverse um, striking ability. And really can be explosive and exciting at times, and when he does finish fights, he certainly is so, and it gets people very hyped up for, to watch his fights. He came off of a decision loss to Dracar close. He actually ended up losing this fight to Dan Hooker via guillotine in the third round, so another, you know, poor loss for Dia Casey. It looked like, to me, he was winning all three rounds for the most part until that third round where Hooker was very patient and really snapped on the neck. Did a great job by Hooker staying patient with his striking, not really ever letting Dia Casey get off his really diverse and dynamic striking. He wasn't able to let him get wild in there, and he just stayed very patient. He almost stayed patient to a fault because, like I said, I thought he was losing the fight. So in that case, he really put himself in danger of losing the decision. But at the end of the day, when Dia Casey came in, it looked like he kind of got tripped up a little bit and then was also going for the takedown at, a set, at the same time. Dia Casey left his neck out there, and Hooker snatched it, uh, snatched it right up and was able to win via submission very, very quickly with Dia Casey having to tap very quickly. It was sunken very deeply, so there was no doubt about it that he was going to either be tapping or going out. For Dia Casey, what I would say here is that I just think he lacks the ability to strike with the fundamentals he doesn't really he doesn't really punch a whole lot for what my liking is he doesn't really use you know jabs the traditional combinations too much it seems like he's really playing off of his feet if he can land some leg kicks and then go from there land some knees then he feels very comfortable but he i feel lacks the ability to go in there and say okay this isn't working My opponent is trying to strike at range and is trying to keep me at range so that I can't really reach him. Let me go in there and close the distance quickly and land some boxing uh, combinations and striking. Um, You know, get into the clinch and really tire him out and get him up there where I can land some knees. It just looks like he's trying to always set up some big leg uh, leg kick, head kick, um, uh, spinning back kick, or... A knee or something of that nature and you know when you play the odds in this game it's not very likely as you go up the ladder that guys are going to get hit with that so to me it becomes very difficult for him to have success so that's where he's really going to struggle as far as hooker I believe this was the second fight with lightweight and he's looked very good so far there again he was patient to a fault a little bit but also very smart and that's what ended up winning him this fight so thought it was a good performance by Hooker Dia Casey. needs to go back and see if he can really just get the basics down of striking. I think he does really good with the dynamic striking, with stuff that a lot of people can't do. But with the things that most people learn to do first, I think he needs to go back and really focus on that so that he can provide that offense and then build off of that in order to land his dynamic striking. The next fight I want to talk about is Cynthia Calvillo versus Carlos Esparza. I thought that this was an unfortunate coaching um, loss for Cynthia Calvillo. She did a really good job of getting Esparza down in the first round. She really dominated from the top, was able to win most of the scrambles until the very, very end of that round where Esparza ended up on top, but it wasn't long enough or dominant enough, uh, anywhere near dominant enough to uh, win that round. Uh, Carla Esparza clearly lost that first round, Calvillo Clearly won that first round. It's pretty even on the feet um, Go in that first round early. And I thought, wow, if Calvillo can just get Esparza down again, which is a tall task, but something she was able to do in that first round, she should be able to win this fight um, pretty pretty well. So that did not happen. When Calvillo went back to the corner, Justin Buckholtz was talking about keeping it standing, not really going to the ground. He indicated that he thought that she could win on the feet, which I did think that she could, but one thing you've got to credit Carla Esparza with lately is that she isn't going to ever be an elite striker. That's just not who Carla Esparza is, but if you've been watching her fight, she's been getting better technically in her boxing, in her striking. She's getting better at being able to land her own punches and her own offense just enough to keep her... her um, her takedowns on us and her striking on us and to keep make sure that the opponents are respecting her you know it just enough like barely just enough whenever she's standing um letting them know like I can at least land some strikes on you may not be super powerful may not be super diverse or dynamic but I can do it and in the last two rounds I really thought that Esparza was doing a better job of landing the more efficient strikes on Calvillo. Calvillo was doing a decent job as well. It's very, very close. I would not have gone against anyone who said Calvillo lost, but I did think that um, Esparza did win that fight two rounds to one. I thought it was a huge, huge mistake by Justin Buckholz to keep insisting that Calvillo was easily going to win this fight on the feet. I just did not see that happening. Calvillo and Esparza, their strong suits, are in grappling. I'm a little bit disappointed that Justin Bulkholz didn't encourage Calvillo to at least go for some more takedowns in the third round when it was pretty obvious that she could be more dominant in that realm as opposed to being dominant in the striking realm where it was very, very close. I'm not saying that she would have gotten the takedown and ended up getting the victory, but there's much more likelihood that she would have ended up um, with the W at the end of the day. Thought she was very she was overly confident when they were reading the scorecards. I was like, better be careful because they might get this one to the Sparza. and nonetheless they did. For Cavigio, I think that this is a good learning experience for her. Um, she's about the same age as Asparza. She's not super young, but she's young in her career. Does not have a lot of mileage on her. She did not take very much punishment from this fight. She fought, I believe, five times in one year, winning four. Going 4-1 and one is absolutely incredible. So, you know, for someone of her, her level, someone who wasn't even really known last year, she's made a huge leap in the sport of MMA and especially in UFC. She's still got a bright future ahead of her, but she d- clearly has some things to work on. I think in this sport, you need to work on what what your negatives are, but you also need to plan your game your game plan needs to be featured around what your strengths are. So sure, that's fine. Go ahead and improve your striking. If you have to use it in a fight, go ahead and use it. And hopefully, that you will improve to a point where you can be very effective with it. But your strengths are your strengths. Use those in your fights. Don't just go and say, well, because the other girl is not very good at striking, I think we're just better enough at striking. Well, you, you clearly dominated her in the first round if that was working, why why do you go against that? So that was my question. As far as Asparza goes, this was a fight where a lot of people thought she could potentially lose. I think that she is still proving to be a pretty tough task when it comes to defending the takedown against her. And she's doing enough on the feet to keep it interesting, to keep herself in the fight. I think she still has a long way to go. I think much of her game is what it really is at this point. There's not going to be a lot of Um, maturation to her game and that's unfortunate but she can still compete with the top tier talent in this division it's just going to be depend on the matchups and who she's fighting to determine whether or not she's going to be able to win but she has a little bit of a nice win streak going on right now so she definitely could get back in the mix very very soon especially having had a win over the champion rose namajunas next fight is carlos condit versus neil magni Condit versus Magny was a little bit of a lackluster fight. I thought that Condit would come in and win this fight. A lot of people were thinking this is a favorable comeback fight for Condit. Considering Magny is not a very, he's not a dominant wrestler. He doesn't have a lot of power in his hands. Condit should be able to strike with him and do enough to stay off the ground. Here's what I would say. Neil Magny ended up proving to be a much better, tougher task tasks with Cond- for Condit than we all initially thought, even myself, after about two minutes of them standing in there, I said, oh boy, this is actually going to be a bit of a tricky fight for Condit. The reason being is Neil Magny is actually a bit lankier, longer, has a little bit more reach on Condit than, uh, than I think a lot of people anticipated. Well, I just think that people didn't think how that would affect the fight, I really do think that Conda is used to having the reach advantage, the height advantage, and using that to his ability with his striking because he's very smart, technical, and is uh, very strategic with that. If Magny was able to really negate that advantage for Conda due to his size and his reach, and in the end Magny was able to land a better strike, was really never able was never really let Carlos find his range and get his rhythm. And then he was constantly pinning Condit against the cage. And then whenever he would get Condit on the ground, this is the one thing that I have been a big critic of Condit throughout his career in the UFC. When he gets to the ground, I think that there's an ability for him to be able to get up a lot quicker than he does. But he trusts in his jujitsu so much that he trusts that he can make a submission uh, that he can make a submission from his back happen very very much in his benefit to where he can win the fight that may have been something that was to his advantage early on in his career but these days how many people do you see get finished when the opponent is on their back it's just not very it's not a very high like um, high um, likelihood that that's going to happen So for Kanda to constantly just say, well, I'm comfortable here. I think I have the better jujitsu. He's probably right. I'm sure he does have the better jujitsu. But in MMA, that has proven that so many people have gotten really good at defending themselves when they're at least on top, that it's really going to be pretty difficult, especially at the high levels of the sport and at the high rankings of these divisions to be able to finish these guys. So I think that's a Another area where Condit really didn't um, think it all through, and that's something that I've long criticized him for. For Condit, I don't think that he looked um, worn like like shop worn or anything like that. I don't think that he needs to retire. I think that he had some rust in there. I think that it was a tough stylistic matchup, or actually just a physical matchup in the sense of how big Magny is. I think that Condit can still perform with some of the best. He did have some some moments here and there, I will. I must admit, but he's just really going to have to work on some of these things. If he still has the fire and the passion to do it, after having come off uh, three straight losses, because now he's lost to Robbie Lawler, Damian Maya, and Neil Magny, I don't mind seeing him in there against someone a little bit lesser known, and then maybe seeing if he can rise up the ranks one more time. But... He's really going to have to see if he has that fire because he took about 18 months off. That is a long, long time, was considering retirement. And while physically and, you know, while physically it seems like he's all there, he can still take some punishment. I think that he has the ability with his body to do it. Still 33 years old, which is a little bit older for these type of weight divisions, considering how long he's been in the game for. I think he can still get it done, but it's going to be mental where he's going to have to determine, can I still do this? Do I want to still do this? And um, at this point, do I have the ability to learn the new things that I need to learn to stay fresh in this division, which is very, very deep at welterweight right now. (laughs) Okay, so then we go into the co-main event. Habib Nurmagomedov defeating Edson Barboza by unanimous decision a three round uh, drubbing of Edson Barboza. I thought this was a very good, good fight for Khabib Nurmagomedov. He was able to show that he had plenty of cardio in his fighting. He was very, very, very busy, stayed very aggressive against Edson, and he did a really smart thing against Edson. He never really let Edson stay at range to where he could get off his very, very strong kicks, where he just starts batting people in the legs and starts limiting their mobility. He was not able to do that too much. Edson early on was very smart in going to the inside leg kick about three or four times before even having been attempted to take down by Habib, but it just was not enough for Edson. He did not have enough time on the feet, he was just getting drilled by Habib on the ground. And by the end of that first round, you could already tell and you could see by looking at Edson's face that there was a big toll that had already been taken when Habib was able to get him to the ground and just started ground and pounding him. It was very, very uh, vicious to watch. Um, There was a point where the commentators were asking, should they stop the fight? And I just did not think that that was the case because I thought Edson was all there. I didn't really think that he at any point in time was going unconscious or really looked like he was very, very much so rocked, but it was clear that he was losing this fight, and the reason why I don't want him, them to stop it is because at the beginning of each round, Edson was able to start on his feet, and he was able to throw some of those uh, wheel kicks, spinning wheel kicks that he was almost able to land a couple times, maybe even did, but just not clean enough, and that in itself was very intriguing to see. So here's what I would say for Edson Barboza I've got to give him a lot of props for having you know toughed out this fight. I mean he really went through a lot in this fight. He took a ton of punishment, but he was always in the fight. He was always trying to win the fight. When he was on the feet, he was doing everything he could to make it make it worthwhile when he was there. Uh, just did not have a just did not have enough with his takedown defense with his ground game, to really uh, combat Habib, And that's just, there's no shame in that, really. Habib is just on a different level. Nurmagomedov is really just uh, so elite at that one area of mixed martial arts, that it's really difficult to combat that. So for Habib himself, I think this was a great performance by him. The one thing I'll say is a lot of people were wary after the Michael Johnson fight, where he did get rocked. Okay, how's he gonna do against maybe the best striker in the lightweight division who is no doubt the fastest striker in the lightweight division? This is where I would say myself and a lot of other people looked at this the wrong way. Edson may be the best striker. Edson may be the quickest striker, but his best weapons are his feet and his legs. His leg kicks are just absolutely uh, vicious and they're very, they can be a huge problem for guys he's the only guy believed to stop two two fights by uh, leg kicks and so that in itself is very impressive but one thing that Habib that Edson is not very well known for is for his elite boxing for his hands and things of that nature looking at this fight I still saw that with Habib putting on that pressure that really helped in negating striking of Edson but a guy that would be able to box very well like a Tony Ferguson who in my opinion is a better boxer than Edson Barboza and absolutely Conor McGregor who I think is better than almost anyone in that division at just pure boxing with his with his hands I think that they could be the ones that would be the most threatening to um the most threatening to Habib Nurmagomedov. Michael Johnson didn't rock Habib with a leg kick or a knee. It was with punches, very quick hands, very quick strikes with his hands, and powerful strikes and accurate as Habib was coming in. I think that that's where you've got to look at Habib and say, okay, that was great, but again, you're looking at a guy who is elite with his leg kicks, not so much his boxing. When you fight a guy like Tony, when you fight a guy like Connor, I still think that that question has to be asked. I think some people will say, oh, well, we answered the question. He fought an elite striker and he surpassed the test. No, no, no. Let's see him face a Tony a Connor who can really be laser accurate with their striking, especially Connor who has massive amounts of power. And how will he do it against them? I do believe that Habib getting... Ferguson, and Connor to the ground would be able to win against either one. I think it would be very intriguing to see him against Tony because Tony is also very tricky on the ground. As you saw him off his back against Kevin Lee, he was able to actually provide a good amount of punishment in cutting up um, Kevin Lee from the bottom with his elbow. So that would be very intriguing to see how he's able to control Tony on the ground. Um, I think that Tony overall is a more... Is a tougher matchup for Habib because he's more well-rounded. To Connor is, but at the end of the day, I almost feel like Connor may have a better shot because with that early, with every round starting on the feet, if Connor is able to just get off one, two, three of those punches, very laser accurate early on, he does have a very good shot at knocking out Habib Nurmagomedov and not even letting it get to the ground in the first place. So that's where I stand with that. What I think should happen next is I think Habib should fight Tony Ferguson next. I believe that Ferguson should fight McGregor next. But at this point, I'm not holding my breath on McGregor right now. He's waiting for more money. He's waiting for something else to happen. So I don't know what's going on there. I do believe Ferguson should be fighting McGregor to unify the titles. It doesn't look like it's going to happen. So give Habib his wish. Have him fight Tony Ferguson. They can fight for the interim title or the undisputed title. I don't really care what it is. And then the winner of that faces Conor McGregor, whether they're the undisputed champion or Conor's undisputed. Again, doesn't matter to me. I just want to find out in 2018, who is the best lightweight on the in the world? Is it Habib Nurmagomedov? Is it, is it um, Tony Ferguson or is it Conor McGregor? Those are clearly the three best lightweights in the world, in my opinion. Which one is going to come out on top in 2018? That's what I want to find out. Going on to the next fight, the main, main event was Chris Cyborg versus Holly Holm. This was an interesting fight. I think a lot of people let their hearts get in the way of this fight where they thought, oh, Holm won the first and second, and... I'll tell you what i thought that home did win the first round but then i looked at the the, the stats and wow it you know the strikes that were landed against cyborg uh, as opposed to the strikes that were landed against home uh, were very different it looked like cyborg clearly won on the stats card so that's for sure so the question was that is how much credit did you give home for controlling the fight and controlling where it went whenever she was able to clench Cyborg up against the cage, as opposed to Cyborg landing her more punches into more powerful punches. At the end of the day, that was what really uh, was the downfall of Holly Holm. Holly was not able to provide much oomph into her punches, into her strikes against Cyborg. She was never really able to sting her and make Cyborg say, whoa, whoa, okay, hold on, I've, I've been continuing this pressure the whole time. Let me sit back for a second. She really just stung me. She really put me in a bad position. Uh, I've got to really watch uh, and, and be careful about this and, and be a little bit more hesitant. Because Cyborg was never really hesitant about her striking, about home striking, she was constantly able to counter and land the, the bigger shots. It wasn't like home ever got truly, truly rocked or knocked down at any one point, but you could tell that... Her strikes were taking more of a toll on home than Holm's were taking a toll on Cyborg. And at the end of the day, home had a very smart game plan in really getting Cyborg with the double underhooks against the cage. Very impressed with how good her control was against the cage and her strength was against the cage against Cyborg. And she was still able to maintain a good uh, gas tank throughout the whole fight and able to maintain that game plan. But at the end of the day... I thought it was the right game plan for home, but she didn't have enough weapons in her true boxing repertoire. I didn't think that she was able to mix it up uh, 100% well there, and she was never really able to land a huge leg kick, which in mixed martial arts has been her forte, has been her biggest weapon in my opinion. And because of that, even though she had a really good uh, movement, was able to stay very uh, sound defensively. Cyborg was able to counter too much, too often with too much power. At the end of the day, that's what cost Holly home. As for Cyborg, um, I would I would like to see her fight someone like a Megan Anderson next. Uh, Amanda Nunes would be good as well. I think at this point, I would rather see the Amanda Nunes fight. There's not a clear contender at 135. There could be something that plays out a little bit down there. Let's let's see that picture unfold at 135. And then right now, we clearly just only have one other fighter on the ro- roster side, which is Megan Anderson, who has not fought in a very, very long time. And that is a major issue when you're trying to come in against a fighter of the caliber of Chris Cyborg. Also, Megan Anderson is, is a young fighter still, and she's not someone who has hit her peak yet, who has really gone to, um, has really been tested yet too much. She still has a she still raw in many areas. I just don't know if her it's time if she's ready for that yet. Amanda Nunes would be a really awesome fight to see. I think Nunes could match a lot of the physical capabilities that Cyborg has. Amanda is very very strong. I think that she would have some of the same uh, ability as Holm did to control her against the cage. I think that. They would kind of null and void each other when it goes to uh, strike to getting onto the ground. What would be very interesting with this is that Amanda is more of a hand striker than a, a kick than a leg striker. She's going to use her hands more often, and she definitely has more pop in her hands. So I th- wonder how that would change Cyborg's game plan and strategy of... Um, you know, coming in with a lot, a lot of pressure on Amanda, especially considering Amanda has a lot of speed in her hands too. She may be quicker than Cyborg in that aspect. That would be a very intriguing fight. I would love to see the two Brazilians go at it. I think that would be a phenomenal fight. I give Amanda Nunes a very good shot in winning that fight, because I do believe that while she's not the most technical striker either, she has a good amount of technique could probably match or be better in that area alone both with a lot of power both have good ground games probably amanda has a little bit better i would say but not too sure both have really good ground and pound it would be a very intriguing matchup a very intriguing champion versus champion matchup and a lot of incentive for amanda as she could become the first woman to win two titles in two different weight divisions, and we talked a lot about Holly Holm becoming even bigger with a win over Cyborg and a Ronda Rousey. Well, what if Amanda Nunes was able to be the second person to beat Ronda Rousey, but the first person to beat Chris Cyborg, um, you know, since her run of dominance started since her first loss in mixed martial arts? That would be a very impressive resume. That would provide a very impressive career for Amanda Nunes, and you would have to put her in a debate, and you would probably have to name her the greatest women's fighter of all time, just on merit alone, because she had beaten, um, you know, Amisha Tate, a Ronda Rousey, and a Chris Cyborg, so there's, I think there's a lot of positive signs from that, and that is what could really elevate Amanda Nunes into being a star, because a lot of people were wondering, why did it not happen after Ronda? Well, the focus was too much on Ronda. The focus was too much on Ronda returning and how she was going to look. There wasn't really a lot of promotion given to Amanda. This could be the UFC's opportunity to write that wrong and say, okay, we're going to focus on Cyborg very much so because she's the bigger star. But we're going to focus on you too because at the end of the day, whether or not you win or lose, we want you to be able to make more money for us. Because at the end of the day, you are guaranteed to be at least one of our champions at 135. That's not on the line. But if you end up winning both titles, you're truly going to be a real star this time around. You could be someone that will be able to headline cards for us and be able to provide more than 200,000 pay-per-view buys more than 300,000 pay-per-view buys. That is what our goal is. In saying that, That I thought the UFC 219 card was uh, good overall, not spectacular. Didn't think there was a lot of great finishing action or anything like that. Uh, Just good, solid fights. That's what I saw going into this card. I didn't think that this would be one where you'll call your friends and say, you got to watch this fight card. It's going to be incredible. I thought that that was UFC and uh, NYC this year, where that was the one that was absolutely incredible. But we move on to the... UFC in uh, 2018. We'll see how um, they go going forward. We've got some great cards coming up for the UFC. UFC 220 is next. We'll talk about that a little bit more as we continue to go into the, the uh, year, as well as other events, perhaps, that may be going on. That card has Steve Miocic versus Francis Ngannou. That is going to be a, an incredible competition. I believe a short competition, but it should be incredible nonetheless. Then we've got Daniel Cormier versus Wolkan Ozdemir for the light heavyweight title, and that should be a very intriguing fight as well. I don't think as intriguing as Miocic versus Ngannou, but nonetheless, Cormier is always someone you definitely want to watch, and Ozdemir, someone who has proven that you cannot take him lightly. He's moved up the ranks very quickly in a light in the light heavyweight division that doesn't have a lot. Going on there but nonetheless has been super impressive a couple other fights that I'd like to definitely keep my eye on there's really only one more that really jumps out at me maybe I need to do my homework a little bit more on this card but Thomas Almeida versus Rob Font Almeida was someone that was coming up through the ranks fought Cody Garbrandt to see who was going to be that guy to really make the next uh, level in the bantamweight division in that case it was Cody But in this fight, I'm really putting my focus on Rob Font. I've seen some guys in the media say, you know, a lot of people are high on Rob, but, you know, there's just holes in the the game that they really don't see him overcoming. And that could be true. There's no doubt about it. But I think that when Rob Font is on, he is one of the best 135-pounders in the division. And to fight a guy like Thomas Almeida, who has a very um, good strength in his striking... It's going to be a very interesting test for him. And can Thomas Almeida beat a guy like Rob Platt, who's got a bit of a different style than he, than he does? That's going to be an exciting fight as well. So, But we'll talk about that stuff going on. Again, this is New Year's Day. It's January 1st, 2018. I just want to touch on a couple of things that I would like to focus on here in the New Year. And most of it's going to be UFC-centric, not so much MMA but when you just think about UFC they are the leader in mixed martial arts so when they're doing good the whole sport is doing good but also we've got to see when they're doing bad that can be concerning for the sport. Um, this year was definitely not their best year. Dana White said that financially it was because you have to take into account Conor McGregor versus Floyd Mayweather. I don't know if that's true or not. I, I It's hard for me to believe that because They had like four or five pay-per-views over 1 million uh, pay-per-view buys last year where, yes, they have Floyd Connor do at least 4 million, but they didn't get as much as they would have gotten in those 1 million pay-per-view buys that they promoted. Uh, Like maybe they did in that one show, but when you accumulate all five compared to just the one, it's hard for me to see how they would equal that amount of money and income that they got. Um, they didn't have very many million pay-per-view buys this year. If not, I think they did not have one. From what we heard, I know that GSP v- versus Bisping did very well, somewhere in like the eight hundred, seven hundred, nine hundred thousand. And same thing with the Daniel Cormier versus John Jones fight. But this is what I would like to see from the UFC going forward, and and we'll see if any progress is really made on these things. But I would definitely like to see fighter pay improve. I mean, this is something that we've all talked about that we um, are all sick of talking about. You know, fighter unions, all this other nonsense that's going on where they come together to have a press conference. Then it never freaking happens. I mean, this is just so annoying. But there's got to be something. I mean, when Lawrence Epstein, I think it was Lawrence Epstein, came out and talked about how they were improving their fighters pay for the Reebok deal for the two lowest tiers from, I think it was like $2,000 to 3500 for some, and then $5,000, and that this was the best way that they could think about improving the income for their fighters, it's absolutely ridiculous, I mean, you telling me that you, the only way, that was the key phrase in that Uh, paragraph the only way you can think about improving the fighters pay is through this and it only affects the very low of the low and they could still get better uh sponsorship paid than what they're getting from Reebok are you kidding me you you didn't go from two thousand to ten thousand that would have at least been like wow that's actually pretty significant still not enough that people could still get more money it's still unfair but you—you you tell me, go from two thousand to $3,500, three thousand five hundred, two thousand to five thousand—that's just ridiculous. So they've got to find a better way to disperse the money uh, from their company across the the fighters. I just don't know how they're going to do that, considering that they did come in with that huge debt, with that huge loan when they bought the UFC. They haven't had the most success. What I would like to see from the UFC is this. <laughs> Get them back to the grassroots. Let us us see them make the fights that fans want to see in terms of the hardcore fans. I think they need to do that for a whole year. If they do one super fight, one fun fight, that's not a problem. But they've done too many of these here in the past two years, year and a half or so. It's just been too much. There's too much chaos going on. The lightweight division's a mess trying to wait for Connor. The middleweight division is finally going to get fixed when um, they go down to Perth, Australia. Um, but that was a mess for a while. The light heavyweight division, that's not really their fault, but that's been a mess because John Jones has just been suspended twice. Um, there's just been a lot of messes in a lot of different divisions. It hasn't made a whole lot of sense what they're doing. You hear about Tyrone Woodley constantly wanting a big-time fight against a Nick Diaz, or George St. Pierre. And it's like, oh, it's just so annoying to talk about. The one super fight we should see in 2018 is Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson versus TJ Dillashaw. And that's it. There shouldn't be any other super fights. There should be Conor McGregor versus the winner of Tony Ferguson Habib. There should be Daniel Cormier versus... Uh, Alexander Gustafsson, The winner of Stipe Miocic and uh, Francis Ngannou should be facing Cain Velasquez. In the middleweight title picture, they should have a little bit of a mini tournament. And I'm not actually saying a tournament, but put fights together where it plays out to where there's a clear number one contender so that you have a clear number one contender for the winner of Luke Rockhold versus Robert Whitaker in the welterweight division. Continue to have Tyron Woodley face the best of the best. If he's going to have that shoulder surgery, get Colby Covington another fight with another top contender in that division and let them fight it out. See who really earned that title shot against Woodley. Do not give it to Colby Covington because he talks a lot. I don't care if Colby Covington talks a lot. You're trying to tell me he's a superstar? He is not a superstar. Justin is not. I'm sorry. It's just not the case. He's not going to bring 500,000 pay-per-view buys because he talks a lot of shit. That's not going to happen. In the lightweight division, we already talked about that. Featherweight division is the one division where I feel like Max Holloway, the champion, is saying, I'm good with this. Keep bringing on the contenders. Let's do this. So keep doing what you're doing in the featherweight division. And uh, in both bantamweight divisions, they're in, um, in tricky spots. So I'll say this. To make two super fights. I'm sorry. It should be Demetrius Johnson versus TJ Dillashaw. And then it should actually be um, Chris Cyborg versus Amanda Nunes. Those two make sense. And all the other divisions just keep it the same. Keep it turning. Let's see what happens. And let's just get the best fights. When you get the best fights is when you get the best action. Not when you get the best super fights. It just doesn't make sense. It messes up with the excitement of the event because people are complaining and there's a lot of controversy. Let's just get back to fighting. That's what we should do for a year. Build your stars, find your stars, get behind those stars. Not just the one that talked, but the ones that have a decent personality, good or bad. You know, like a Brian Ortega who is very humble, but there's something very unique about that. Get behind that guy. Don't just get behind Colby Covington who just... Um, puts his foot in his mouth every other word he says makes no sense I mean this guy he's not even at the uh, in my opinion Ortega has the more tools to ensure that he becomes a champion than Covington so why do you back a guy who may not even ever become champion and you just spend all those time and money on him when okay if he doesn't become a champion it really won't matter that much. So that's one thing I would like the UFC is to change their focus. I also don't want to see three title fights on a card anymore this year. I think it's interesting to do it every once in a while when there's a mega event, UFC 200, a UFC 100, UFC 300. That makes sense to me. UFC, when they went to uh, Madison Square Garden for the first time. (laughs) But it makes no sense in building out the events for the next few pay-per-views. It really hampers them. It puts them in a poor area of trying to find a headliner. And then you end up with a situation where an event is in six weeks and the headliner hasn't even been announced and they're trying to create an interim title. It doesn't make sense. If you see, if you go back and look at the numbers, the three title fights is not helping pay-per-view buys. Also, you should say, well, NYC did really well. Yeah, it did, but that was because of George St. Pierre versus... Michael Bisping, and mainly Cody Garbrandt versus C.J. Dillashaw, those two fights. Take off Joanna Janjicic versus Rosa Majunas. Put on a different card where they can have help, and you'll be in a much better situation in terms of having depth to your cards. I think that that's really something that they struggled with, and uh, they just see the ability, let's do three title fights if we can. I don't think that that's very smart. Let's do two title fights. NYC ended up doing okay and was actually one of the best events I've ever seen. It was incredible to see three titles change in one night like that. But again, we didn't need that. We didn't absolutely need that. So let's see that change as well. The one big thing that I want to see in 2018, what happens with this TV deal for the UFC? Do the fighters get a a cut of this at all? Are they going to... Um, be able to negotiate anything like this? Are they going to be able to make any movement into being able to negotiate the rights better with the UFC and have better pay? Um, And a big thing and a big key in this is going to be this uh, fight, this TV TV deal that is coming up right now. But also for the UFC, it's going to be very intriguing to see where do they end up? Do they end up strictly online? Will they end up with a Netflix, a Hulu? Will they end up with USA um will they end up with nbc and fox will they end up on multiple networks how will espn play a role in this will they play a role in this at all because i think that that was their strategy was to try to get espn intrigued and in on this um tv deal but i don't know if that's going to happen and what is the price tag really going to be when it comes to getting that deal done how many years is it going to be because apparently one of the reasons why they bought the UFC to do owners was because they thought they could do a really good job at getting a huge, massive TV deal on when theirs expired. Well, the time has come. It's looking murky. There's a lot of questions when it comes to cable television, so we're really going to have to see uh, what the landscape and layout is for that. It's very much a little bit worrisome for the UFC, but who knows? We, they could come out of this looking very golden, Or they could come out of this looking like they either stayed stagnant or took a step back, which would be a huge, huge blow to their uh, psyche, I believe. So that's a little bit of a concern as well. Uh, But that's what I'm really looking forward to in, in 2018. I really want to see them just kind of go back to what they did best, and that's promote fights. Uh, day in day out not one fight for six months like they did Conor McGregor Floyd Mayweather I'm talking about promote this fight after this fight after this fight and then after they land that TV deal I don't know when that would go into effect but will they start to announce out that that there will be changes to the pay-per-view uh plan how many pay-per-views they'll do a year how many events in total that they'll do a year so that will be very intriguing as well uh I'll be very intrigued for that. I am definitely interested in seeing what the fighters do, but more importantly, I think this is a huge year for the UFC uh, business-wise and financially. So I'll be very intrigued to see ultimately at the end of the day, where do they end up and are they going to be a company that is being able to succeed and continue to grow financially to where they can go to those next levels and perhaps start paying the fighters better. I don't know that they want to, but there's got to be a way. And the reasons why I really emphasize that is because the better you pay the fighters, I believe the better athletes will come into this business, and the better these fights will get. Um, I think that you can get guys like Francis Ngannou, those freak athletes, to come into these uh, situations. Um, I believe Eric Anders is one of those guys who was a big-time a big-time football player at the University of Alabama and really transitioned well into MMA. If you could get guys like that, I'm not saying you're going to get a LeBron James, but get guys that are that athletic, that big of freaks, five-star recruits that used to be, um, you know, Alabama, and then they transition to MMA because they see money there rather than going to boxing or wrestling. That could be a, a really interesting development to see – how these guys with just these freak athletics and abilities are able to transition into MMA, and if you see from an early age that you can make some real money in a ruthless sport, but you can really set up your family well for many generations to come, why not go out there and make that one of the sports that you try out instead of some of, instead of boxing or some of these other things that are going on? If you're not as good at base, basketball or football or baseball. Right, But the money has to be there, especially in a sport that is as ruthless as mixed martial arts. Until then, you could continue to see just that the the line of athlete, the line of competition stay stagnant while uh, or even go down as people will say. It's just not worth it. It's just not worth me putting my life at risk and my body through the ringer and my brain through the ringer to get paid 3000 dollars by Reebok for the first five fights. You know, it's just ridiculous. Um, so that's what I would like to see. Let me know if you would, what you're looking forward to in 2018 from the sport. What your thoughts were on UFC 219? I definitely think that the UFC can bounce back. It's definitely going to be interesting to see where Bellator lands um, in the in the Paramount landscape as they change their network name from Spike to Paramount. And how they fit in there, I believe that they're very much entrenched with uh, with uh, Bellator MMA, Paramount is, and very much behind it. I want to see what type of moves they make as far as the fighters and what type of cards they're able to put together this year as well. Ryzen had a pretty good end-of-year card this year. Kyoji Horiguchi really shined in that card. So we'll see what happens there. Um, there's a lot to look forward to in 2018. Give me a follow at Sapata MMA on Twitter. Again, that's at Sapata MMA. And uh, give me your thoughts, any questions you might have. Until then, have a good one, guys. Bye.